Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If anyone loves their life in this world, they will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. From the very beginning, Christians have always said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, as Tertullian famously put it. The church has always grown through unyielding faith, unyielding compromise, unyielding to compromise, even at the cost of death. That is what draws others into the faith. See, when I read stories of people who say they don't believe in Christ or they don't believe in the God of Christianity anymore, I frequently want to yell back at them that I don't believe in the God you don't believe in anymore either. I don't believe in a God who is weak and impotent, a God who is powerless and helpless, a God who is evil and sadistic. That's not the God that I have encountered. And yet, when I listen frequently to Christians talk, I'm not surprised that people in the world don't think God is, has beauty and power and majesty because we don't talk as if God is beautiful, majestic, and powerful. We don't speak about God in that way. Instead of proclaiming a God who is over all parts of our lives, who gives hope in the darkest situations, who is worth living and dying for, We've relegated God to one hour on a Sunday morning. We assume that if we check off the box and come to worship, that then we'll get our golden ticket to a good life after we die. But that he's not really worth doing much for the rest of the week. Not worth following. Doesn't have much of an impact in our daily life. See, we don't act as though God is worth following with our lives. But that kind of faith in God that sees God as an inconvenience but a nice insurance policy, that kind of belief doesn't inspire inspire faith in anyone. That kind of belief isn't what inspires me to go out into the unknown, to risk all for God, to trust that he has got me. See, when people describe this kind of God, it doesn't seem like he's worth living for or dying for. If God has no power beyond Sunday morning, if he has no impact on your daily life, then why bother following it all? What good is he? This is a troubling question we have to ask ourselves. Is the God I follow worth living for, worth dying for? If not, then why are we here? Because Jesus' words are plain and simple. They are clear. If we are to follow after him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're here for him. We live for him. We die for him. Today, we begin the heaviest work week in the church year the last week of Jesus' life, leading to his brutal passion and death. Historically, on Palm Sunday, the church has read the entire passion account. And the actual reading assigned for today was two chapters of Mark's gospel. Don't worry, I'm not going to read two chapters of the gospel to you now. 
But I do want to read a portion of Mark 15 to you. This is what Mark writes. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus' life given, his blood shed is the seed of Christian life. New life for us. An unyielding life that would never compromise. In John 5, verse 19 and 20, Jesus tells us the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus was always about the Father's will. Throughout his entire life and ministry, in the small things, in the seemingly insignificant things of his daily life, in his prayer, in his worship, in all that he did, in calling the twelve disciples, and in the larger things as he raised Lazarus from the dead, as he went about his ministry and his preaching, Jesus only did the Father's will, what the Father commanded. And so now at the cross, at this most difficult moment, he continues to do what the Father commands. At the greatest cost to himself, he will not compromise, even when it means his own agonizing death. As we read through the Passion accounts, through the Gospels, and, and through all of Scripture, it's not, the God we encounter is not an impotent or weak, evil or sadistic God, but a God of compassion and power. The God we come to know through the rhythm of your church year and through one another as God's people is a God who is over every season of life in mercy and in grace, 
whether or not we acknowledge him, God is in control. The God who died on a cross, who sent his son for us, is reigning over every hour and every moment. He is Lord over both life and death. God is not relegated to one hour on a Sunday morning, but he encompasses all of our life, all of our death. This is a God who is worth living for, worth dying for. He is the God of hope in every circumstance and in every situation. And no matter where God would ask me to go, I would follow because I know of his compassion, his justice, his mercy, his power. Even if he would ask me to follow him to hell and back, even if he would ask me to a place that would lead to certain death in this life, I would go because I know of his love and his grace and his power. In our culture, that kind of radical faith is offensive. See, our faith makes claims about truth, about value, about right and wrong, and about hope. This kind of faith may soon cost us dearly, as it costs many around the world today and has throughout history. See, our faith is certainly not safe. But let me be abundantly clear. Any compromise of our faith will doom us. There is no middle ground when it comes to following Christ. We can't pick and choose. We must hate our life in this world. That is to say, Christ must be all in all to us. God must be first over family, over riches, over comfort, over my will, over the easy and the pain-free road. And we see Jesus live this out in his life. In the crucifixion, Jesus will not yield to anything but faith in his Father. He was willing to give up his own life. He did what was necessary, dying for us. For unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's easy for us in the day-to-day to think that the small compromises don't matter. That skipping worship isn't a big deal. That the words we use aren't a big deal. That what we watch on TV or on the internet isn't a big deal. That what we post on Facebook or social media isn't a big deal. That putting ourselves first to the harm of others isn't a big deal. That not knowing scripture or being saturated in our lives with God's word doesn't matter. And so we learn to hold loosely to the claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That that there is salvation found in no one else. Because that claim is offensive. It upsets others who don't believe that. But our actions in the small things prepare us for how we will act in the future. If we can't remain true in the small, seemingly insignificant things of this life, then we certainly will not remain true when when the cost is infinitely greater. See, in recent years, African bishops in the church in Africa have been calling out the Western church. Churches like ours for the compromises we're making. Because we frequently make compromises in our faith and in our Christian walk to get along easier with culture, to avoid the difficult conversations and the challenging things. But it's these very things that we're compromising that they are laying down their lives for, sacrificing for their faith because they will not compromise. See, it's what they're dying for. There is no middle ground. We must hate our life in this world so that we may gain eternal life. 
When you and I consider why we're here today, we have to look back at those who have come before us that would not yield even when it meant death. It is their faith that has led to our faith. When Luther called out, here I stand, I can do no other, risking death for the gospel, the seeds of faith were planted. When St. Patrick escaped from slavery and returned back to those who were his captors to preach the gospel, risking death, the seeds of faith were planted. When St. Germanus stood in the Roman Colosseum and was told, recant your faith or the lions will be released, and he stood firm. In his death, the seeds of faith were planted. When St. Polycarp was condemned to burn, be burned to death for his faith, he heard a voice from heaven that told him, play the man. And as the flames rose, his songs of praise to God Almighty rose higher. In his death, the seeds of faith were planted. See, their lives and countless others given in death because they would not compromise, planted the seeds that have led to our faith. Today, in a dramatic way, the blood of Christian martyrs continues to be shed on the field of the world, sowing the seeds of Christian faith in more hearts and lives. So now, as we think of our own children, what do we want for them? That they will be happy? That their life will be good? If that's the case, we should not raise them as Christians. Better that they be taught to go along with the flow, or perhaps we can teach them to compromise, to not hold too dearly to our Lord's words, especially when it comes to hot-button issues of the day then indeed, our children will be safer. They will have a better shot at happiness in this life. But then they will have this life and nothing in the life to come. They will have the world, but will have lost their eternal souls. See, that's the seductive bargain the world makes for us to give up our faith. And when we take that bargain, when we shield our children from the truth and the necessity to confess it, when we do this, we and they lose everything. It's good for us to remember that we should not spare ourselves, our friends, or our families from this truth. Because love that compromises the truth is not love at all. See, God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. God did not compromise. Jesus said he came for the truth and that all who believe in the truth listen to him. God did not compromise. The God of love let Christ offer up for the world the greatest sacrifice. His own death that sets us free from sin and death. His death that gives power to absolution and makes our baptism give us a new identity that writes our book, our lives, our names in the book of life. His death gives us an unfailing hope. For by his death, death has been conquered. We have been saved. Our hope is for more than simply this world and simply this life. For unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, but those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So let us follow those who have come before us and die to ourselves and live to Christ, who is worth living for and dying for, 
that our lives in life and death might bear much fruit for his kingdom and to his glory. Amen.